Hello, Green Antler listeners. This is Sarah Waterfowl Fowler at the Waterfowl Podcast, and you are listening to me. I am having this sort of impromptu minute with uh, Ian Theaker. He's with the Pemin Institute and uh, Help Cities Lead. He's We're connected through Climate Caucus, so welcome, Ian. Hi, so you're on the Waterfall Podcast, and you uh, are someone who lives on a sailboat. Um, that seems pretty exciting. Yeah, I know. I bought a 34-foot sloop uh, four years ago, and this is my my response to the housing crisis. Yeah. I find that I can, I that I can uh, live aboard. I've got a, I've got a, a very cozy but small home. Right. And it small homes take less to maintain, right? That's Well, yeah. <laughs> my ambition is to take it carbon negative and uh, and blue water ready, i.e. ready for ocean crossings within the next five years. Wow. That sounds exciting. Carbon negative and blue water ready. I'm gonna write those things down so I can know what they mean. Blue water ready. I mean, there's a bunch of reasons that I that, that, that I bought a boat, not least of which that I want to spend the rest of my life exploring the Georgia Strait and the Sandwich Sea. But as well, there's one thing about living aboard a boat is that you're responsible for all of your utilities. So, yeah, not just energy and energy and etc., but water, sewage, uh, you know, your your own heating and heating and cooling. Um, all of these things, and for me, that's a that's a really interesting set of challenges. Uh, um, yeah. So. Yeah. Besides which, I wake up in a really beautiful place every morning. That is one of the things that I noticed when I lived in my van. <laughs> you know, I could just park myself in a beautiful place and then wake up there uh, the next morning. So I. I really can relate to that <clears throat> on a certain level, but uh, I do know that you know having those sort of uh, utility concerns or uh, service areas. I, I I've heard people talking about uh, the coast. Uh, no, what are those called? The uh, cruise ships coming back to Victoria now that COVID's you know in the rearview mirror, so to speak. And um, and I know too that sometimes finding some of those like pump outs or electrical hookups and stuff like that can be challenging especially in remote places like mine absolutely so one of the first changes that i made in the boat was to switch from a marine toilet to a, to a composting toilet but that may be just too much detail for many of your listeners oh no we uh i've i'm familiar with the composting toilet and even though uh you know where I live in my house is on a, a septic or not a septic, but like part of the regular municipal sewage. I, I feel like, you know, you found the, the person who wants to, talk, who, who wants to talk sewer, you know, and, and who understands that, like, cause, uh, I have, um, you know, I wasn't always, uh, a West coast, uh, politico. I was once, uh, living in Ontario and I knew some people who were living off grid and they had a composting toilet and they had, you know, to get this sawdust amendments to like mix it up. And then, um, you know, but is there is there not a, a need to pump that out? Because your your boat can't just, you know, be like continuously filled up with your, you know, sort of compost. Um, well, I, 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 I
have to make a, I have, have to empty my pee tank um, every week. Yep. One bird. Um, the, actually, the solids to do compost. Yep. Uh, takes, it typically, I just mix it with a little bit of peat moss. Yep. Takes about two weeks to two weeks to really compost it, compost total, uh, totally. Hmm. And um, you know, I, I I take the compost and that goes and the goes into the nearest place that's going to be away from water, and uh, and it's going to feed some it feeds a bunch of plants. Hmm. So, yeah. It's kind of ironic because I live aboard a boat, but my entire professional life has been focused on reading buildings. Um, before I joined Emma in the last year, um, you know, I, I'm an engineer, specialized in reducing the environmental impacts, particularly climate impacts of buildings. And uh, so I was with the Canada Green Building Council in one of its first staff. And, and you know, the Canada Green Building Council established the lead green building rating systems in Canada. So one of the things I'm proudest of is that now lead green buildings are now mainstream. If you want a Class A office building in North America, it pretty much has to have a lead gold or platinum certification. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's a that's a huge change from when uh, from when I started my career when you know energy was something that uh, that you only did if you were a real keener. Mm-hmm. But, what, uh, what I'm doing with the doing with, with the Hamlet Institute right now is our reframed initiative and reframe what we're doing our, our first set of labs where we're, we've got six design teams of six small multifamily buildings that are owned and operated by BC Housing and Metro Vancouver Housing, so social housing. Mm-hmm. These are three to four story, uh, mostly wood frame. Um, uh, multi-family apartment buildings and we're taking them through a set of integrated design workshops gone right through to schematic design and class C i.e. ready for budget costing and uh, we we're looking for deep greenhouse gas emissions reductions as well as a reduction in and operating costs, energy operating costs, and trying to address a bunch of the other, you know, failings of older of older multifamily buildings, such as lack of cooling and heat stress and, 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 uh, and heat issues like we had last summer that mm-hmm. we're going to have more of. Um, yeah, as well as dealing with the dealing not just with climate and temperature issues, but as well seismic and and, uh, and other uh, flooding and flooding issues that we're likely to be seeing, likely to be seeing uh, down the road as well. So we're right at the uh, near the end of, uh, of our uh, workshops with these uh, six months of workshops with the design teams of these buildings. Mm. We're really encouraged to see what designs, that, what design options they came up with. What we're seeing is that we can that in BC. All six of our buildings have gone, have reduced their their GHG emissions by 80% or more, have typically with a reduction in energy operating costs and and an increase in in, in improvements in comfort and as well in in all kinds of resources. So, you know, we're really encouraged. What we're proving is that 
it is very definitely technically feasible to do much better buildings, even even if they're if they're 40, 50 years old. Mm-hmm. That the, the the issues that are getting in the way are more about awareness that think that the buildings can be improved and issues like financing. Yeah. Like how do how do people actually pay upfront for the capital cost of this? The, we find that the net present value or the internal rate of return. What we what's what these designs do in terms of energy reduction, greenhouse gas reduction, etc. Typically pay for themselves and can free up a free up financing. You know, so you've got a revenue stream that allows you to finance the uh, the, the investment that you're making in improving their in improving the building performance. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of options that are coming open, both federally and provincially, in terms of finding, in terms of helping with that finance. Yeah, yeah. I saw this amazing chart today put um, up up by. Uh, my colleague Daniel Arbor, who's uh, I think in Hornby, and he was—it was a chart uh, or like a bar graph about uh, the cost of electrified vehicles and EVs versus gas, and how gas is right off the charts because of um, the prices now, and just how you know we've been really putting off these like good decisions that we knew we had to make at some point in our grown-up lives, you know, like. I think that it's really interesting what you're talking to about how the LEED certification is now sort of um, becoming uh, sort of more commonplace. It's not just like one of those icing things that you get on the side of like a garnish just to give yourself a gold medal building, but it's something that's becoming more standardized. Exactly. In fact, for the best, for the, you know, the, the buildings that, Class A office buildings in downtown or retail, mm. you know, green certification at a high level thereof of a credible certification is table stakes. It's no longer something that's optional. Yeah, you know I mean, simply you're not going to be able to rent out your rent out your building if you haven't got a serious certification like Lead, like Lead Canada's. Yeah, for um, you know that you can that you can point to and say, yeah, we're actually doing good things. Yeah, and I really like, too, what you said about the sort of retrofitting of older buildings, right? Or, like, multi-unit dwellings, uh, wood frame construction, those kind of things that are, um, you know, because that's part of the equation of, like, just thinking about my own town is that we haven't really had any new builds outside of the Coast Guard station. Uh, Most of our properties are, in fact, sort of heritage or um, at least legacy yeah, but unfortunately, you know, you know, some seventy percent of the buildings that we have in Canada are still going to be inhabited by twenty fifty. They're still going to be around unless we actually deal with the emissions, the emissions, and for that matter, rising energy costs of uh, of these buildings. There is no way we're going to actually be, be able to meet our Canada's greenhouse gas uh, commitments. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is, and you know what's what makes this feasible is that in fact most of these things they pay for themselves. You know, I mean, this is not rocket science. The technology and again the, 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 we're talking about heat pumps and stuff. It's state of the shelf. It's not it's not bleeding edge by any means. Yeah. So 
But still, like, I, I would say too, like, the paying for itself is still a capital thing, right? You know, like, only over 20 years of, you know, like, I don't have a heat pump in my home. I uh, would like to, but it's that capital cost that needs to be incurred to save, have those savings, you know? And then I think that people who, you know, let's say are, are house poor, uh, aren't really in a position to make those sort of capital investments. So I, I know that one of the things that I've heard uh, through the Help Cities Lead uh, people, like Will is actually, he's one of the people who's the regulars on the Climate Caucus call. Um, he is really pushing that pace, the clean and uh, uh, property assessed clean energy. So you could take sort of a, a loan against your collateral in your house and then have those sort of heat pumps installed and that kind of like pay for yourself long-term uh, thinking. Yeah, actually, that's one of the, like, I'm eminent, uh, eminent liaison with the with Help Cities Lead, uh, which is supported by, by Climate Caucus, a really great initiative of elected officials that are serious about dealing with climate and climate change. And to that end, you know, one of the, one of the key elements that that uh, Help Cities Lead has been pushing the, the BC government on was to introduce PACE financing. Uh, just a clarification though, actually one of the benefits of PACE financing is that it's a loan that is paid back on, on a slight increase in your property tax. So it isn't a loan, a loan so the, the loan is attached to the title of the title of the building. And the result is that, you, is that it doesn't affect your credit rating uh, or need to, or issues that you, or, you, uh, you know, or your ability to take out, take out other loans. Yeah, I understand it to be like uh, on the future taxation of that property, not necessarily my mortgage, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah you pay it back like, with a small increase in your property taxes. And typically that small increase is more than offset by the energy, by your energy operating cost savings that, that, that are done by the retrofits, retrofits that you do. Mm -hmm. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a really good way to, way to approach it. It was, and it's been promised by the province introduced in their update of the clean, of their clean BC program. Mm -hmm. But we've yet to see a timeline or real much action on that, on that, um, other than, uh, other than the statement in principle that they want to do it. Mm -hmm. Yes, I know. I know about the Clean BC plan and how um, I, I was kind of uh, thinking, oh, well, where's the pace, you know, because that's something that we had been sort of advocating or asking for. And I know that uh, that to me seems like, in, in a sense, the only way for some people in my community to make some of those, uh, you know, heat uh, dome preparations with heat pumps or other sort of things like a, a lot I would say that a lot of the housing stock in our town is operating on like you know old windows old um, insulation that kind of thing but I, I get to that uh, uh, you know I'm sure it's hard to insulate a boat too or those sort of things right you know like there's we're not the only ones that have um, a lot of work to do I guess no, I mean everybody in Canada has got a lot of work to do in terms of reducing reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. 
um, and very definitely, you know, the capital cost of doing of doing these things is a, is a very a very real issue. Just installing a heat pump is probably going to cost on the order of fifteen to eighteen thousand dollars. And if it happens that your furnace or your boiler fails, you know, when it's twenty below outside, then you're probably going to get whatever is going to be fastest, as opposed to whatever makes biggest climate sense. Mm -hmm. But you know, that said, I mean, the 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 difference between doing the same old, same old as and installing installing a heat pump or adding insulation is really not that much. And so, you know, having some finance to help with that is, is definitely a good thing. But not most many most people aren't aware uh, or feel that they have the expertise to be able to make good decisions. And so, you know, we've got a long ways to go besides just offering money for, for these improvements. Yeah, rebates are, are one tool, but it can't be the only tool in the kit, right? You know, like, it's like only having a hammer, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So what we're finding particularly for building retro for housing retrofits is that people want a one stop shop. Yeah. People want to, people need a need some extra some expertise and some management the management uh, help as they're as they're bringing these uh, bring these kinds of things in. So yeah. So I I'm afraid I have to be taken off. Thank you for your time, Ian. It's been a slice. I hope you have a nice day. Excellent. We'll yeah. look forward to catching up in future Climate Caucus calls. You bet. And I'll send you an email so that you can check out some of the past episodes of the Waterfowl Podcast. And eventually, this episode is 17 minutes long, and it'll probably come out in the fall. Terrific. So now, uh-huh. you, now you're part of the flock. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good day. Good Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was Ian Theaker of the Pemina Institute and liaison with Help Cities Lead, which I am for somewhat familiar with from the Climate Caucus work. We uh, just had a little impromptu. We thought that there was a BC chapter meeting for the Climate Caucus, and we that has been moved to next week so now we know and uh we were the only ones so we were able to connect uh so thank you ian for your time and thank you listeners uh have a really great day and look for those happy accidents out there they exist you just need to be open to them this is sarah waterfowl fowler coming to you from the Green Antler in beautiful Tassis, British Columbia, where today it is like summer outside. So this is recorded in June on the 17th, and uh, we will be looking forward to sharing this episode with you um, in in upcoming season three as we're moving forward to that. Uh, so this has. Uh, the Green Antler uh, Productions. We have been doing two seasons of the Waterfowl podcast uh, with, you know, the roller coaster of being a production house. And we also have done uh, three poetry books um, just of different sort of wilderness worship. And you can find those uh, on the um, internet. They're uh, ebooks um 
and they're called Tassus Inlet Outlet Revival Anthology. So have a good day. Bye-bye.